Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Failure Effect. My name is Wayua Muli. I will be your host this week. And today we have a very, very special guest, the super extra phenomenal Amakovi Wala. <laughs> Karibu sana. Thank you so much, Wayua. Okay. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Asante. Now, what Amakovi doesn't know is that she is the actual inspiration for this entire Failure Effect show. And the reason why she's the inspiration for the show is because once upon a time when I was wandering those FB streets, as you do when you're looking for entertainment, um, I came across a post and it was by her. She's talking about shutting down a business that she had started. And she talked about her feeling like a failure because her business had shut down. We'll get to that very soon. And there was a whole list of comments, people talking about how their businesses had fallen apart and the lessons that they learned. And I said to myself, I think this is a conversation that people need to have. And so here we are. This is how the channel started. This is why I am so glad you're here. Thank you. Right? Yeah. Okay, so now we all know you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. right? What businesses do you run? I have uh, three businesses, uh -huh. at least the ones that are registered by <laughs> that are paying taxes. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first one. So I, I think I've built my businesses around my passion uh -huh. and also my lifestyle. So the oldest one is called Nyerai Home Care Services, which is a domestic worker bureau that does placement of domestic workers from nannies, drivers, name it, anyone who works in the domestic, in the household setup except security team so that's been running six years now um started off inside my house and now it's branched off it has it, an office of its own and two employees so wow. i'm happy about that uh -huh. and then the second one is uh wanderlust diaries which is a travel platform that also started from my passion from traveling and the platform is on facebook mostly but we are looking at moving a lot of the content and curating a lot of the content onto the website. So Wanderlust Diaries has a subsidiary company that was called Coven Cottage, which was an Airbnb that uh, I had set up um, in my neighborhood. And that's coming to the topic of this conversation. And then I have the third one, which I am a co-director with someone else, and that's Beyond the Stethoscope. Being a medical doctor, I, I felt there was a gap in terms of our colleagues and ourselves in how we package ourselves in, in, in careers that are outside the clinical space. Mm -hmm. And so Beyond the Stethoscope is there to just um, give guidance and, you know, options that, you know, doctors, pharmacists, dentists can look into beyond seeing patients so that's those are the three uh, businesses. businesses yeah right okay so let's go um towards beyond the stethoscope because yeah. you're a doctor by training mm -hmm. yes right yeah. so how did you happen upon how did you end up in the medical field and then take this sharp turn into entrepreneurship but let's start with the yeah. medical field first yeah, so i, I graduated in 2001 with uh, 2002 with a bachelor's degree in medicine and surgery. I did my mandatory internship and then got posted to one of these, those days there were districts. So one of these far-flung districts. And while I was there, I got sick and I could not afford the healthcare 
the services that I was offering. Coincidentally, wow. it was it was a condition that I was actually attending to another patient. And so I had to get, you know, treated for that. And during my break, I felt, you no, know, it cannot be that I'm offering a service that I, I can't afford. And that's because of the just the nature of the circumstances those days. We were really paid very poorly. We didn't have NHF was not what NHF is right now. So I veered off into um, research, and it's something that I used to do when I was a medical student. So I guess I've been, I think I've been a hustler, so to speak, yeah. right from the <laughs> beginning. And, and, and I think it's born from what I saw my mother doing and the fact that she had eight children to take care of. Wow. Um, yeah, so she did everything she could to ensure that you went to good schools, went to the university. And so for me, uh, trying out things here and there. Oh, I also mentioned that I'm farming also, so I don't know whether that's a business, <laughs> but it does bring some income. Uh -huh. um, so I think I've just always had something else I'm doing with my time that's not just purely medicine. And so it was easier for me to transition out to other fields of healthcare. And for the most part in that time, we were pioneers in many of these fields, from the pharmaceutical sector to research to NGO work. And I got to know that there was something we could offer um, in the healthcare space, apart from seeing doctor, uh, patients, and also just the fact that the impact is at a population level. Mm -hmm. And when I tried now mentoring other people into the field, I realized there was a big gap because there was a lot of training that I was exposed to while in some of these private uh, companies, for example, training on presentation skills, media appearances, uh, right, right, you know, those are skills that are really not taught in, in undergraduate. And, and, and I felt uh, when we were looking for a position and there were different CVs, doctors really fared poorly. And that's because they they knew or we know how to treat. We don't know how to package ourselves right. for opportunities that are out there. So Beyond the Stethoscope was born from that sense because I kept on getting people asking me, oh, please mentor me on this and that. And I felt... I could create a company out of it. I looked for a like-minded doctor who had also was now he was in uh, he's in business in in the business of healthcare, and so we formed. and It's looking at three angles. One is on the career, so mm -hmm. just packaging. We have something called equipped for tomorrow, so just uh, taking doctors through an emotional intelligence journey, which involves a lot of introspection into your own personality goes into packaging your CV, goes into your brand out there on LinkedIn, your visibility, and goes into presentation skills in terms of uh, if you're looking for opportunities. Then we have other opportunities in terms of uh, mental health, mm -hmm. uh, because we do believe that um, medics are really facing a lot of psychosocial issues Yeah, as a career, by itself, it is prone to very high mental health stress. Yeah. But also individually, because we are all channeling ourselves through this life's journey. And then we make the worst patients as doctors. And I think <laughs> uh, I got that insight when I was going through my own personal journey, which was uh, my marriage was really under the rocks. And I could not... Imagine that me, who's extroverted, could actually be at the brink of, of uh, depression 
-hmm. And that's because I had to put this mask. I had to be very strong. I had to look like everything was together. And uh, the employer that I was working for at that time had had um, services, psychosocial services, and that were available to us. So I just said, okay, now that I've read all the books and I'm not getting solutions to my problems, then let me seek the services of a therapist. Yeah. So that's, I realized then we, we, we fear being stigmatized because how can we be providing services that provide health yeah. and we can't take care of our own health? So we have something called um, Physician Heal Thyself just to give people that safe space of where they can come to and say, look, I'm struggling with this or I need support on this and that. Okay. And then the last but not least is around social wellness. So this now marries my love for fun, um, traveling, uh, social activities, because we don't take time as doctors. It's, it's always you're running from one hospital to another. You don't take time to just breathe and even enjoy the labor of your, of your hands. So the fun part is now married to the other company that I run, which is Wanderlust Diaries. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Now, you've said something very significant there. You've talked about your marriage failing. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that your family is very, very important to you. You're a mother of four. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit <clears throat> about them. Yeah. So I'm raising my four kids. They're yeah. teenagers right now where you and it's uh -oh. a very difficult time. <laughs> every, every day has its ups and downs. Yeah. Um, but I have a son who's 15 right now. And wow. then I have triplet girls who are 13. Mm -hmm. um, I was married for seven years. Mm -hmm. And I'm divorced now for... I think eight or nine years. I lost track at some okay. point. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, but the divorce was a very tough season. Okay. And and that's because I think as a person, I'm a fixer. Okay. And I came to, of course, realize this after therapy and after doing all those personality tests. And being a fixer meant that you, you see something that's broken and you try to fix it. Mm-hmm. And some things are not fixable, if there's such an English word, that um, especially people, they need to fix themselves. So I think by the time I was realizing that I couldn't fix the situation, it had really taken a toll on me. And so eventually I said, you know what, uh, one of us has to be sane enough to, to raise these children because now the children were there. I had a very demanding job. And when I made the decision to leave, it was from a point of, I've really tried everything. And I remember there's a time I even thought maybe being a widow was better. Oh. And I would, yeah, I would see myself in a black dress because everyone would sympathize with a woman who is, you know, has been left with four children and, mm -hmm. you know, we'll take care of you. But a divorcee brings a very different uh, stigma to it. Mm -hmm. And so the courage to walk out came from just a series of just uh, therapy mm -hmm. and also just saying, you know, I'm, I'm forgiving myself for, for not thinking that I can fix it. Because I think me, that's what I struggle the most. Okay. Because I'm, I'm succeeding in parenting, I'm succeeding at work, and then I'm not succeeding in this marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and it came with a lot of release, of course. Uh, it came with... Um, 
it came with a lot of peace of mind, but also it came with, of course, the stigma. I think for me, the biggest challenge is the stigma we've put on people whose marriages have gone down the drain. And I, th I believe many of my friends, because I started talking about it, and for me, writing is therapy. And I think putting it out there again became stigmatizing because why are you you know, exposing your lean and dirty lean and to, to the public. But for me, writing is a therapy, a form of release. And I usually write for myself. But then I realize the writing draws other people and gives them confidence to, to also be vulnerable. So that vulnerability really, I think I, it comes with me. I think I'm, I'm so used to, if I can't talk to someone, I can actually talk to a Paul, as in I have to speak it, I have to write it out. And by writing, I not only release myself, I also get a lot of feedback. In fact, most of the decisions that I make, whether it's in business, in my life, in my what, if I'm stuck somewhere, I just put it out there. I say, right. where can I go for this? Or what can I do in this situation? How can I support my teenage son into you know, navigating this course? And I get so many resources. I get people offering. I get insights. I get people sharing and saying, you know, this is also me, and we work together. Mm -hmm. um, so the that bore a hashtag that I like using called um, hashtag Single Lives Matter. Yes, <laughs> I think we're also, in fact, you even started a dating. <laughs> yes, yes, oh yes. Then there's the dating site. So that's why I said I, I, I was listing for you the ones that Karen knows. <laughs> but um, yeah. I think just to to demystify that coming from a broken marriage is failure. Mm -hmm. um, and because we have defined failure by certain checkboxes in society. And so when you are not able to check a certain box, you feel like you failed. But then who decided this is the marking scheme? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that liberation for me was very, very significant because I said, you know, I'm the one who knows my journey. I know what I've put in through. I know where I am in this space. And I know what that's doing to me as a person. So I encourage people to define their own parts. I, I, I think I give people the courage to to just uh, reflect. And, and I tell people, the ones who approach me, I tell them, just, just have a you know pros and cons list. If the cons is longer than the pros, then perhaps you should think about doing something. But I also encourage people to seek professional help because there are mm -hmm. some things that are beyond uh, your own uh, capability to sort it out. So in a nutshell, I think that's my story of marriage. So I would not say it's a failure. It's a failure, I guess, according to society. Uh, but for me, I think it was a season to go through. It, it gave me four very lovely children. Yeah. And um, I do appreciate there were, the, there were the good times in that marriage and then there were the bad times. And so it's a season. And I think that's how I take life as it, as it comes. Um, it can't be smooth throughout. So mm -hmm. I think it's just an encouragement to anyone who may be struggling out there that you're not a failure because a relationship hasn't worked out. And I see people going back after after marriage and I really see them thriving. So these opportunities are there. So I think uh, once you've worked on, on your own 
issues or on your own like for me i had a very bad enabling behavior that i needed to to work on mm-hmm. because i carried it forward to other relationships so i needed to say you know what why are you attracting this kind of people into your life right yeah and so i had to work on that a lot so i had mm-hmm. to learn to say no and saying no for me was very liberating but mm-hmm. it takes a lot of self work okay yeah. <clears throat> so Are you looking forward to getting married again? <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think so. I no? I would say our laws are such that when you want to get out it's very it's very dirty. It's mm-hmm. very energy sapping. At least my experience what I went through. And I also think um we come into relationships with different expectations sometimes i wonder whether we have we have really we have a soulmate thing i guess for me i, I don't expect that i have a soulmate out there i may have soulmates out there right. yes. <laughs> and i think uh just the aspect that if i get bored if we get, get if it doesn't work out that i can't leave as fast as i want to mm-hmm. maybe it's a I'm running away from commitment in a way but I think I'm happy where I am. I'm okay. happy with a partnership. Mm-hmm. I think you get to a space where you become so independent that right now if just the thought of thinking that I'm tied down uh and you see the way I'm looking at it as being tied down. Yeah. <laughs> that it is um a lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. I think that scares me a bit because I I I have worked on my personality and I'm the type who wants to try many different things and I think I may get bored. Okay. Yeah, so so just leaving that room for you know what it's okay I can date and uh, I can also stay without dating. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right, cool. So now let's branch off into entrepreneurship. At at what point did you decide I want to you know um focus on making money for myself as opposed to being in employment so i've always had not always had for the most part i was fully employed dedicated to that but i'll always be doing something on the side it may mm. not be income generating yeah. but it would take my time because for me i think i can i can multitask i can do several things at the same time and it actually took the coaching of an ex- and the executive coaching of a, f- a friend of mine called Sarah Richardson mm-hmm. to tell me to my face that while you're going to die passionately poor because <laughs> because i was so passionate about many causes i am a fixer so right I had premies I started a premie group for moms with premies Yes I remember that I have yeah. a multiples group yes. so all these are just from passion passion but the, I was not turning them into income generating and so I had to take a step back and say you know I need to actually convert this into income Um so the Nyarai business of course started directly as an income generating mm-hmm. but the wonderful one I really had to say how do I turn this passion into profit mm-hmm. and it luckily it came with a grant we we I got a grant from Meta wow in 2021 yeah $50,000 mm-hmm. 
and the grant came with uh, training on how to convert communities into businesses. Mm -hmm. And that training was very intense. It was eight months. And it was during the time of COVID and I was changing jobs. So at some point, the, 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 the employer then, I mean, there was something that wasn't really right. I don't know whether it was COVID or I just couldn't feel my energy, the energy that I had previously. Mm -hmm. And so I said, let me take a risk and try this employment full time because now I have established, I've seen that I can actually run a business based on on the coaching that I got from the Meta training. Mm -hmm. So I took a one year off. Uh, it was very bad timing <laughs> because mm. it was in the year of elections. Yeah. And I didn't know that because I am the type to just, I risk, I take risks as many of them not calculated. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I I can succeed exceedingly well and I can fail, you know, remarkably. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so the 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 business was doing very well before COVID, before elections, but then because most of our work was tied towards government partnerships, um, there was a lull in government engagements. Um, no one was committing to any partnerships and then when we had a new government again it took a long while to get um, office bearers in place uh -huh. and so I realized I had started dipping into my savings mm -hmm. then I started borrowing from my siblings and uh, a couple of friends and I knew it was not sustainable Right. so I had to tell myself you know what you need to and then I had thought I'd rely on consultancies on the health sector. Mm -hmm. But the consultancy space is a cartel of sorts. Mm -hmm. It is the same people getting the same work. So unless you get into, you know, someone gives you something of what they've done, it's very hard to penetrate when you're new. Um, so I struggled. I struggled and I had to face myself. And I said, you know, um, you have... You have needs, very big needs, given the the children that you're raising alone. Uh, given the fact that I had I had taken um, some money to put up the Airbnb, that's the Coven Cottage. So I had two rents to pay: the rent for my place and the rent for that cottage. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I was actually getting into a financial crisis, and I had to go back to employment. Uh huh. Yeah, but I also had to sell a property, which was very sad, <laughs> but it was necessary because I, I had to pay off debts that I had. There's nothing I fear as bad as debts in my yeah. life. Um, so that, the sale of the property, and you know, when you're doing it, it's a distressed sell, you'll actually sell it at, you know, at yeah. a lower value than what it should. But <clears throat> at least I got it off my, my, my back because it's not easy to sell land, mm -hmm. especially during that time of uh, post-elections. Yeah. So that's how I got back into employment. But then mm -hmm. I had also missed the health side. So I'm still passionate about my health sector, the policy side, the just impacting on a population level. I'm very passionate about it. So the businesses were giving me an income, but they, it was a different sort of satisfaction. 
it was not tapping into my training intellectual side. So I still needed that stimulation from the health side to get back into that space and, and start impacting on lives. Okay, so, I mean, obviously running the businesses and you're very open about the struggles that you faced on social media. Mm. So I can ask this with absolute confidence. Sure. Running your businesses hasn't been easy. You've seen challenges, mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about the challenges with Coven Cottage for starters. Mm. What inspired you to open it in the first place? Mm -hmm. And then it sounds to me like it was draining more than it was giving you back. Yeah. And then why did you shut it down? Okay. So Coven Cottage, um, I, I love, I have an eclectic taste in many things. Uh -huh. And the neighborhood that I moved into during the COVID period has these old quaint cottages. And it's, it's, an, it's in a very, it's in the middle of a forest or something. It's surrounded by a forest. So we're always battling baboons, birds. So it's a very peaceful place. In my head, it right. is very peaceful. <laughs> and so when this opportunity came, my my landlady had that, that facility available. I could see, I am a fixer again. Yes. And I saw this old cottage that I could turn around into a space where people could come and retreat. And during the COVID period, people are looking for places they could just escape. And it's in an area where, you know, there's a lot of privacy. No one, no one knows that there's a cottage around there that's, that's out for rental. Um, they, it's very also very peaceful. And I partnered with two of my friends who are interior designers. And we converted it into, into a space that was very Africa, Afrocentric that had upcycled stuff, because I'm all about sustainability, a mm -hmm. lot of it. Um, so I pumped in a lot of money and into just changing it or stuffing, you know, uh, putting in furniture and whatnot, resourcing it. And I also had an art gallery from young people. Wow. So I had this, it's almost like a boho-ish kind of uh, space. And so the um, the fact that I also had a platform where I could advertise for free to around 400,000 people mm -hmm. was an opportunity to, you know, market it. But I realized that the population that needed a space like that were... were were not traveling as much because I remember it was COVID. So a lot of it was being taken up by people coming to host parties. And the neighborhood that I that I stay in does not take <laughs> right. here kindly towards parties. So it had started you know, attracting negative attention from the neighborhood. But even for me myself, I did not envision it to be a party place. It it was it's a quiet, serene place, yeah. So it now became, and then the people who did, who are looking for spaces for parties were also looking, they were also being guided by budget. And my pricing was such that I was looking at the, the effort I'd put into it, plus just that concept of sustainability. Because you, they usually, it's it's expensive to be to go the sustainable way, the green way, because I didn't have single-use plastics, I had upcycled materials. I had local furniture, local food and, and whatnot, solar. 
So those things cost. So it will be much more expensive than if you had a flat that had, you know, the, the usual amenities. So the pricing also didn't work for this market of parties. Um, and so I started now struggling uh, because of that. But what I did is I married it now with um, one of my businesses. So the Domestic Worker Bureau, I started training girls. Um, so I now rented it out to the Bureau to use, I think, three weeks in a month. And that sustained it. Um, in fact, I didn't need to have visitors with that concept. But then it came a time where the type of training that I was giving in those five days was not enough. So then I was getting now feedback from uh, my clients on the Nyerai side that, oh, we are paying much more for these uh, domestic workers, but they don't know how to do this. They don't know how okay. to do that. And I realized the five days was not enough. So I had to actually stop. Oh, you'd put in the training because you've invested in it. And then the girls go and they switch off their phones. So it was, it was tough. So the training uh, angle of Nyerai also didn't work. After eight cohorts, I had to stop because I was putting in money and then it was not coming back. Oh, I have to replace those girls. So my, the brand Nyerai was suffering. So long and short of it, I had to make the decision to actually close the place. Luckily, uh, my landlady understood. I gave out my notice. But now my biggest thing was, okay, what do I do with all this stuff? Because it's a whole house. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, so where do I take it? And, and there are some pieces that are very sentimental because it was also built and structured to that place, like the dining bar area. The way it was built, it was built for that room. So it's very hard to transfer it to another space. Uh, but I got someone who took over some of the items or rather bought some of the items. And then in my grand plans, yes, I did mention I, I bought an aeroplane. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> yeah, so uh -huh. in my eclectic space, um, one of my friends, Anyango, Zanta Dede, and I need to interview her because she, she has also an, uh, an exciting story. Wow, I'll find her. failure effect, yeah. Uh -huh. So we have the same taste in, uh, in, in, in f design and fashion. Mm -hmm. And so one day she approached me and she said, you know, at least let's go and buy an aeroplane. <laughs> and she, she shared with me this uh, Kenya Airports Authority auction bid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I said, okay, what are we going to do with an aeroplane? She said, I don't know, but we can that's convert it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how we ended up going to the bead auction and, and got a plane. And then we hadn't figured out that we'd be given seven days to get that plane out. And it was a big plane. It was a, it's a Fokka 27. Uh -huh. So long story short, it costed us as much to haul it out of the airport and take it to the current place. So in my grand scheme of things, I still had this project of the of the plane because mm -hmm. we needed to design it into a boutique space, yeah. a boutique hotel. So this, I, I wasn't feeling so much pain for the staff in Covent Cottage because I knew there was this other project that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I just uh, built a small shack in where the plane is. I've stored, I got it, I got the items very well wrapped, but the movers did a, a fantastic job. 
But I remember on that day I broke down. Wow. I didn't even go to check out. I just told Evelyn she she she's she runs the moving company. I said, Evelyn, I trust you with the items. Just take them to this place. And she did a great job. She wrapped everything. She did she put for me an inventory. But that day I actually broke down. Yeah. Because it was like the failure effect. You know, this is mm-hmm. something I've put some I'm like, why can't people see the the beauty of this space you know yeah so and uh, yeah so the stuff was taken and then I now put my energy I think for me I have I have so much energy so I have to be doing a project so now I put my energy into developing the plane so that's where we are at now we have hopefully September Covent Cottage will be back wow yeah maybe with Uh another brand name but still yeah, um, but now on the plain side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we are doing this boutique, boutique resort, three three rooms only, exclusive, and half plain, half building, which is the first of its kind. So I wouldn't say Coven was a failure. I would say it gave birth to this other project. Wow, I mean that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm so glad to see that your project is still, you know, alive and kicking. It's mm. morphing. It's because mm. a lot of people will tell you when they walk into a business, you walk into a business with this idea, mm. and then along the way, the business mm. takes over and says, "No, actually, this is what I want to grow up and become." Yeah. And so the business leads you. So it's great to see this. Yeah. But throughout running um, Coven Cottage and its shutdown, what lessons did you take home? I I think the biggest lesson is understanding your market. Mm-hmm. Because I believe if the cottage was not in Nairobi, so people had to drive out to it, yeah. it would attract more people. Because people, I think, didn't feel they've gone somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe like where we are I'm building, which is in Kisarian, the drive itself, someone psychologically gets this feeling that I'm going for a break. Yeah. Yeah. So Coven was right in Nairobi. So that's one thing. The other thing is uh, in understanding the times, external factors. And I think maybe that's why I didn't beat myself too much because I I did put in my best and um, both in resources, but also in time and energy but the timing was just bad because shortly before elections then the covid uh, restrictions were lifted and so people could host their bashes at home yeah and and that just changed everything and then elections came and you know everyone was waiting like people are sitting on their money uh, waiting to see how it goes. Yeah. So we didn't have much business for those because travel is seen as a leisure activity mm-hmm. rather than um, an, an essential thing to just recharge and, and, and break off. Yeah. It's also deemed to be expensive. And so the first thing that travelers, from what I get from the Wanderlust group, the first thing that people cut down on is accommodation. Mm-hmm. So people will pay for the activities, but they'll go and look for something you know, somewhere where they're paying the minimum or they can eat out and just come and sleep. So even within the travel space, accommodation is the first one that people really um, cut down on. And I think also we've, maybe we need to also groom people more on experiences around sustainability. 
because I think we still have a long way to go to appreciate um, that one facility has a different pricing because they're looking at a sustainability angle. I got a lot of that uh, mm -hmm. backlash that, oh, yeah, we told you this pricing was too high, whatnot. But I think for the amount of... There are people who paid without batting an eyelid, and that's because they understood the sustainability concept. So I think if we have a lot more of awareness and socialization around green buildings or green travel then we'd appreciate some things a bit more. But last but not least, I think what I learned is you you fail, you cry when you're there, dust yourself up and get up. Right. Yeah, because the crying happened. Yes. Yeah, but then you don't stay there. And I think when I wrote about it, I realized so many people were going through transitions mm -hmm. in their businesses. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is sad. It was tragic, of course. But it was also consoling that you're not alone. So sometimes you may you may think that you've lost it. And people have lost millions. Mine was, it was over a million, but it wasn't to the proportion that some, some of those stories gave. Yeah. And people take risks and they're still alive. And they tomorrow they wake up to take another risk. So I I got I got that that lesson of yes uh, it didn't work but now you learned a new way of doing things so mm -hmm. i took the lessons from it rather than staying you know depressed or whatever mm. indeed mm. now let's talk about the second business because i know you alluded to something happening on facebook and didn't quite explain what was going on so i'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who are curious to know what happened with nyarai like there's an incident. Oh, <laughs> I was going to wonder. <laughs> yeah, that's your wild card. Eh? Yeah. So, Nyarai started as a partnership mm -hmm. with my then uh, nanny. Mm -hmm. So, I have, I've, I used to have two nannies because the children were triplets yeah. and a toddler. And so once the children went off to school, I had, I I redistributed some chores. I bought a washing machine. So things were lighter for whoever stayed behind. Mm -hmm. And so there was time on her hands. And we deliberated, what do we do this time? Because she's an entrepreneur also, and I, I give her that credit. And so we we looked at various options. One was an, an eatery because we both love cooking. Mm -hmm. Um, but the space that we had hoped to get was taken up. And so when I was with her, I, I really kept on being asked for referrals and she'd be the one doing it. So we decided, okay, maybe a nanny business would, would, would do. And so that's how we started. I registered the business. Um, but in terms so the papers are all under me. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, uh, for the sake of it, everything was 50-50. Right. Yeah. And... We grew. Um, we operated in my house for four years. That meant a lot of uh, personal space being taken up. In fact, it was a one-story. It, it was a one-story majonette, and we were basically living on the f on the top floor because mm -hmm. interviews were being done in the sitting room and whatnot. So for the four years, there's a lot that I had to sacrifice. My kids had to sacrifice their their space. 
at some point I battled with bed bugs for a year. Wow. Yeah, it was bad because, you know, you'd order a nanny. We'd bring someone from uh, the rural areas mm -hmm. and then you don't come for them. So what do we do with them? So we have to host them. Yeah. So we had a lot of traffic. It was it was crazy. Um, so when I moved to my current neighborhood, of course, I couldn't do that business there. It is very controlled mm -hmm. uh, um, situation. Mm -hmm. So I looked for a commercial space. Okay. Now, when I looked for a commercial space, it meant that now I had to put in, I had to put in processes. In fact, that's the time now I started running um, entrepreneurship workshops for ladies because I'm very passionate about women in business. And I got support from banks and, and you know, insurance and they, they would come and fund those, those workshops. So in one of the workshops, I decided, let me sit in as a student because I had checked Wanderlust was doing very well. Covent Cottage, it was actually in Covent Cottage. Uh, but Nyarai has had always been a paper, a mattress kind of business, right. not registered. Okay, it had a business name, but no account, uh, no phone number, nothing. Right. So the 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 training helped me because we were given a checklist by Sandbox, mm -hmm. Joram of Sandbox, and mm -hmm. it was almost like a temperature control check for your business and. I did it for Nyarai and I think I scored zero or a negative because I didn't have even, I didn't have many things. Nyarai ran through word of mouth and right. one flyer for four years, wow. one flyer on Facebook. Um, so I started putting in systems, of course, and that meant converting it into a company. It meant uh, getting a bank account, a dedicated phone number, a till number, uh, proper records and whatnot. So one of the days I started noticing a bit of resistance mm -hmm. because I had trusted like 120%. So if you tell me, because I'm so busy again running all these other things and having a, 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 a very demanding job, if you tell me at the end of the month we have X amount, I will take it that it's X amount that came. Mm -hmm. So X amount comes, we divide it into two. Most of the time I've eaten into my share because gas has run out and, and I'll be like, ah, I'm in a meeting, just use the cash that's there. Yeah. So it it was a lot of delegation, which is a lesson that I learned from my part, without systems. So when the system started coming on board, then there was a bit of resistance. And at some point... I remember I was in Afri Cities in Kisumu. I think that was May last year. I got this um, email from a client showing proof that they've paid. So remember now we have changed our social media handles. They have the phone number. They have the proper email address. I, I got hold of a domain name without... It's now when we're doing the website. And so when I opened the message, uh, it was the Safaricom M-Pesa Sleep. Mm -hmm. And when you open, you find, oh, the money has been sent to a personal number. Yet we've, we'd had the till, till number from January. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I was really shocked uh, because I didn't believe that that could happen. So I called and asked why is that? No, I, I sent the email to my number, to my personal email. And then I wrote to the client. I said, look, I'm so-and-so. I'm the owner of this business. I just want to know whether you are offered a till number to pay for this service. So mm -hmm. the client responded with, with evidence and said, no, this is the number I was given to pay. 
So that's when I realized that there is something fishy going on. Yeah. And um, I think for me, it was it was very, very... Like someone has had stabbed me in the back. Yeah. Because this is someone we've lived in for like 10, 11 years. Yeah. Ran the business. This was like our fifth year of running the business. And then because of the trust you'd put, or maybe you was just too busy, I didn't believe that that could happen because I thought we were open. And, you know, mm -hmm. at the end of the month, we had now an accountant who'd say, okay, this is your income after removing the expenses. Then uh, we split it up. So I called and asked what's going on. And, you know, it became, first of all, a denial, then gaslighting. Yeah. And then I couldn't deal because... Afri Cities was a mess. <laughs> so uh -huh. I said, okay, let me take care of Afri Cities now. Then I'll come and deal with it. So when he came back, we had again started now the trainings. Basically, it slipped. I never addressed it, but it was at the back of my mind. But later, um, when I closed Covent Cottage, because it was being managed by my driver. Uh -huh. So... The driver's salary was coming from Covent Cottage. So I told her, because I don't want to cut down your salary, mm -hmm. you go into Nyarai so that you keep for me records because she had a bit of computer literacy. Okay. And then um, there's an organization that had approached us to fund us. And they needed records. And I didn't realize I don't know how many people I have who come into my doors and how many I give out. And that's because the forms are not being followed. So yeah, they were using... Um, a book to record things. So that was really resisted. Uh -huh. And I told now my uh, my partner, I said, you know what? It's not an option. It is, I'm telling you that this person is coming to work here from November going forward. Uh -huh. But uh, long story short is I discovered, because um, I got a way of getting a statement and I discovered I'd lost over 400,000. My goodness. Yeah, between January and and October that time. Wow. And I was receiving, I remember receiving this report when I was in the U.S. I'd taken my daughter to the U.S. Uh-huh. For the, for the, those are, um, the tournament. Yes. yes, those are tournaments that she was participating in. And this person said, are you somewhere you can sit down? I said, okay. So sent me the report and I, it was just, it was just crazy. And I called one of the people because it was a doctor who I had referred to, to get a, a driver from us. Yeah. And I called him. I said, doc, when you got a driver from us, where did you pay? Where were you told to pay? Because that was as recent as I think August. Yeah. And the doctor was like, no, I was not given a till number. And you know, I was in a hurry and they said, just pay into this number. So cumulatively, I had lost, uh, over 400,000 had been channeled through that account. Oh my gosh. And then um, the same week, I'm still in the US, this lady writes to me and and I, th I, th I really thank that lady. I even forget mm -hmm. her name. I need to go back to my email. And she's like, I'm so-and-so and I am, a, I am a woman who runs a business and I came to your business and what you write about that business and what I saw are two different things. So I just want to give you feedback. So I told her, you know what, I'm not roaming. It was an email. I said, there's a number that's going to call you. So I told a friend of mine, please call this lady. 
So the friend is the one who gave me feedback and she said, you know what, this client came, needed these specs in terms of the worker, was given different specs, people with outrageous demands, and then when she couldn't find a suitable person, she was told, ah, don't worry, uh, if you can't get from here, I've opened another I've opened my own bureau in this and this place. You Allah. can come. <laughs> yeah, I was telling you, I think that's, Eva Coven is not a failure. That was a big failure because it was just shocker upon shocker. Yeah. Um. So here I am. I have been given the statement and I've been given uh, feedback that there's actually a parallel business being run. So I came back and now my quagmire was that this is someone who also works in my house. Mm -hmm. And this is someone the children have known yeah. their whole life. They don't know any other person, especially for the girls. Um, so because if I terminate, because I was very clear in my mind, we are going separate ways. And if I terminate, then it also means um, I have to make adjustments in the house. Yeah. yeah, so that's what I did. We came, But when I came and told her, okay, it looks like I'll have to get a day back from January. She's like, no. Um, actually, um, I had planned to leave in December. So, yeah, so it was just another shock. <laughs> so, yeah, so all this was being planned. Apparently, from what I gather, is uh, she had laid her, her path. She yeah. had built her business. So December, she was going to transition out. So mm -hmm. I said, you know, you don't have to wait till December. Just hand over the business, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the phone. And the keys, two phones and the keys. And I mm -hmm. said, I'm starting from scratch. Okay. So I got, I got to work with other, and, and it's important to share stories because before I traveled, I'd met this lady who runs a training institution for domestic workers. Mm -hmm. And she shared her story of 20 years of how she started out and whatnot. And I told her, please, I'm going through this. And she's like, you know what? You need an employee. Mm -hmm you should not work on a partnership because the partnership has been abused. Yeah. Um, so I can give you a couple of names, interview them, then get them on board as employees with very clear job description, yeah. boundaries, roles, whatever, expectations. And so that's what I did. So I got someone on board. We parted ways. Uh, it was not a very easy parting because yeah. there was also the issue of labor, labor... Um, the labor people came for me also on the domestic worker side. Yeah. So eventually, um, wait, I got... Wait, wait, wait. So yeah. when you say, was it because she said you owed her dues or was this purely um, related to the business? No, this was now on owing dues. Okay. And on owing dues, there was a lot of fabrication in terms of... Yeah. Um, so service charge, that's that's okay because mm -hmm. that's that's legal. Yeah. But over time and summary dismissal because okay. she left my house. Yeah. I woke up and then she was gone. So then uh, the calculation was just ridiculous because it came to over one point two million. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so she's taken your four hundred thousand and now she wants one. Wow. Yeah, but the calculation was ridiculous because I think these people just use a template. Yeah. A template from um, other people. So they, I don't think they didn't edit because if you did, did the math, it was like 400K. Mm -hmm. So I told her, look, we have two options. We have an OB number, which is, um, it's a criminal offense because yeah. it's obtaining by false pretense. 
it's mm-hmm. a crib as in it will land you in jail. Yeah. Mine is a civil case. It yeah. is about raising my service charge because the rest is neither here nor there. Service charge was one twenty thousand, I think. So you ha you you choose your yeah. Yeah, choose your struggle. Yeah, choose your struggle. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because I, I had I mean stories really came out. Like, you know, people were afraid of telling me things that are going there, through there. And I think I felt bad. I felt bad that you you pose as my friend, but you can't tell me, Liz, I came to your place and I was actually told to pay to a personal number. Yeah. Guys came out and said, yeah. In fact, there's, a, there's one who said, um, you were actually there when I paid th- to her number. So I'm like, okay. So you are also abetting crime because you know there's a tail number, but whichever way you've negotiated, maybe it's a lower rate, it's going to now a personal number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was really. Um, I I really took time to process that. Yeah, yeah. But on the flip side is because I came now with the employer-employee thing. I there's a the same friend helped me to interview for the current manager, put down expectations. She mm-hmm. came in and I think that December until my accountant told me there's something you're doing. You you've doubled your income. I mean, you've hit your highest target in, and December is usually a worst month because mm-hmm. everyone is going on leave and whatnot. And it's just because of the person who came on board, and so many things opened up. I got a grant this year. Uh, we are running the grant very well. Um, for for Nyarai. For Nyarai, yes. I didn't even know NGOs can give companies grants. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we're doing something around early childhood um, development. I got partners. I got, like now we are forming um, an association of agencies just to bring in order into that. Because that space is a mess. Mm-hmm. We have people doing very unscrupulous business. So we want to bring a bit of sanity around it. So there's this conversation, like it's it's breathed a new life, a new mm-hmm. lease to life. And even the ladies who are there, you know, those talk about nepotism and bribing to get interviews. Yeah. So I told them, here's my number. If you notice anything in this business, I am a phone call away. Mm-hmm. So I think I also realized I'd really detached and re- delegated a lot. So nowadays I make sure at least once a week I pass through the office. Um, and 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 we've seen I've seen a tremendous tremendous growth. Wow! So I think from that, I don't know whether that's failure, but it is. Yeah, it's failure on my part for not being diligent, <laughs> but or not putting in processes. Mm-hmm. But I think it is. It was a very painful one. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm happy to hear once again. I mean, because. You're right. You need to professionalize the business mm. in order for it to grow. Mm. You know, um, we've all, I think, had experiences starting businesses with a friend, a mm-hmm. relative. Cool. Then it falls apart because, you know, but yeah. in Joanna, yeah. you, know, and, you know, so this is cool. But the two words that you mentioned that I want to delve into, um, backlash, mm-hmm. because I know this is something that you are um, uh, not a stranger to. And specifically in relation to Wanderlust Mm -hmm. Diaries, Mm -hmm. yeah? Because I see, I mean, obviously, if you have an entity on Facebook, 
you will encounter backlash. It doesn't mm. matter how innocent, how loving, how positive your posts or your energy is. Mm. People will always find a way to come back at you. Mm. And there's a lot that you've experienced mm. running Wanderlust Diaries. Mm-hmm. So shall we go into that? Yes. Uh, so I think, one, I'll say Kenyans are very angry. Generally, a very <laughs> angry population. And they, they, they seek to release that anger on people that they don't know. I think yeah. the, the animos, uh, anonym, anonymity, of, anonymity of social of media, social media yeah. yeah, gives people the courage to really say nasty things. Mm-hmm. And some of us are, like, I, I, I get hurt by words. I am okay. a word person. I write, I express mm-hmm. myself through words, but I also, like, you can deny me gifts or whatever, money, but if you speak something to me, it sits in my mind. Mm-hmm. So this is a revelation that I had after going through therapy that a lot of things were said that, you know, really took into, you know, planted seeds in, you know, negative seeds into me. So I, I learned to to detach from the words because that's my Achilles heel. Uh, but the other thing is just understanding that it's a difficult season for many people. And whether it is from the political angle, because that's really, I've really been trolled on the political angle, to my lifestyle sharing, to whatnot, people are projecting a mm-hmm. lot of what they're going through. So with Wanderlust, one is it started without a plan. I, mean, mm-hmm. I just needed a community of people. I've, I've created groups before. Uh, but I just needed a community of people that could come and share. I had no business in mind with it. It was a social space. And I think after a week, I realized, oh, 100,000 people. Wow. <laughs> what can we do with 100,000 people? Wait, yeah. hold up. How did you <clears throat> manage to collect 100,000 people in one space? Like, what's, what's, the, what's the magic? Um, what's the secret recipe that you used? I don't know if it's a recipe. You know, I write. So I've been writing about my travels, mm-hmm. posting on my timeline, and I have a blog that I used to post on. So I had naturally developed a following on people who love to know where can I take my children for this right. and that. So it's it's become a snowballing thing. Okay. Like uh, So I started sharing because now we couldn't travel during COVID, uh, the initial days. So I think it just grew from, and I think people are looking for a space at that time to socialize because we were grounded, all of us at home. So the circumstances or the context of the COVID really helped to build the community. But also just the fact that people found a like-minded space of sharing and it's sharing positive stories. And I remember initially you could just post directly until we started getting pornography. <laughs> yeah. Because you're sleeping and, you know, someone else is awake and you wake up and you find, ooh, people yeah. are fighting in the group. Yeah. So at least Facebook introduced certain features. So the admin assist features really, really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of bullying. Actually, we've lost quite a number of avid travelers because of that bullying that started happening. So someone has posted their picture in a swimsuit in the beach. Uh, and someone is like, oh, you're a whole mother. How can your son see? So we started now blocking people, okay. weeding them out. We put down rules. I, it was just me and 
another friend of mine and I realized I needed more moderators, especially people who are night owls. Mm -hmm. Because also the diaspora people started saying, oh, but our posts are taking so long because we have to wait for you guys to wake up. Yeah. So we, I brought in uh, eight other moderators and they really, really have been helpful. And they've worked with me ever since without a single pay. Um, the other thing that we did is now we we rallied people into speaking up for others. Mm -hmm. So, because we can't be in all those comments. And a, a post can garner a thousand comments. Yeah. So we tell people, please report, please report, please tag us, please tag us. So we became now uh, self-regulating. The mm -hmm. members stood with so many people who are uh, being trolled. And then we also put in features, as I mentioned. So, for example, we do not admit any... There's a bot on Facebook that you can set it up. So, for example, accounts that are less than one year old, uh -huh. do not, they're automatically dismissed in one hour. Yeah. So you can put certain features. Or if someone has not answered the questions, whether you're a traveler or not, you need to answer the questions. Yeah. And so... The bot really helps in weeding out. So that's why we've stagnated at around 400,000 mm -hmm. because it's now, you know, little, you know, we really vet people who are coming in. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that happened is now when people saw me posting a till number <laughs> and guys are like, what? Are we shareholders in this business? You're just <laughs> using us. I don't know what, what. So luckily, mm -hmm. the group has always had a limited on it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because you know what Kenyans did? They came and, and formed five other, six other wanderlust diaries. Yes. Complete with even stealing my logo. Wow. So um, I had to put LTD. Mm -hmm. So when that thing came, I said, you, you joined the group. What was the name of the group you joined? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> did you see LTD? Do you know what LTD means? Mm -hmm. and, and, and I had many people supporting and they said, you know what? As long as the members are not the ones being charged, because the marketing is by the trade partners. Yeah. And trade partners are in business. Mm -hmm. So they are not complaining. You are not paying. So where's the problem? Mm -hmm. In fact, initially it was, oh, we will report this group. We will bring it down. Okay, Kenyans. <laughs> so I tell them, try. Because now even in the background, you know, I think initially Facebook was not allowing people to make money out of groups. Mm -hmm. But now we are in an eight-month program, accelerator program, to be trained yeah. on how to make money. But you see, because you don't, you've not asked me, mm -hmm. you've already concluded that I'm, I'm flouting Facebook rules. I say, mm -hmm. okay, go and report. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... Um, I have had a lot of support from members and especially the issue of minority groups being trolled, mm -hmm. women being trolled. Yeah. Um, so we have sort of put an end to that. But okay. it, took, it, took, it took a lot of... At some point I had to... There's a button for switching off. Not slowing down. Like no one can comment, no one can post. Uh -huh. I needed to sleep. Yeah. So I turned it on for like a day uh -huh. and guys could not believe because it, it was that time. I think there was a hashtag trending for food mm -hmm. prices, lower food prices. Ah, yes, yes, yes. I remember yeah. the controversy. Yes. Then now they brought it <clears> in Wanderlust. <throat> then I told them this is not the space mm -hmm. because someone has posted a lovely post of where they went and how exciting it yeah. was. Then all the comments are hashtag lower food prices. I told them, no, you're yeah. not doing it in my group. Yeah. So that's when now people became vicious. You're living in middle class. You're what, what, what. 
So I just turned off the group. I wow. said, okay, now you can't post. Mm-hmm. So now, so it's been it's been fun. I think we've matured. We went through this storming phase, which is very long. <laughs> Character development. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. But I think people have seen, and the trade partners have appreciated. Yeah, yeah, because we are trying to also n- keep it as much into conversations rather than marketing. So like a trip advisor of sorts, and we've had amazing social. Um, accountability yeah. aspects that have come out of it. I mean, we've seen crocodiles that were in uh, the former Mamba village rescued by KWS wow. because people posted. We've seen racism affect, uh, addressed in some of these uh, hotels. Yeah. We've seen the other day we had a child with autism who was beaten up by a matatu driver and it's gone viral to the police. Yeah. We've seen police themselves this year, not this year, the NPS mm-hmm. uh, talking about and, and, and telling people thank you for raising issues yeah. within the Wanderlust group. Wow. So it has built, it has built that awareness on traveling responsibly, traveling safely and and for me that, that for me that's, that's a bigger that's impact. Most, yeah. That it's changing people. People are seeing I can travel on a budget. I can travel for luxury. We have people asking for helicopters in that group. Wow. <laughs> Where can I get out of helicopter and stuff? Yeah. So I think it's been it's been amazing. I enjoy being and, and the fun bit. I think it really took away the stress of COVID mm-hmm. because there was a lot of humor being shared. Yeah. And just reminiscing. And now it has opened up the country. And it has given us our first work with uh, Makweni County. Excellent. Yes, yes, we did a tourism circuit for Makweni County. Yeah. So we are hoping other counties come on board. And that's from the, just the sharing and opening up the country mm-hmm. to other people. Okay. Mm. That's excellent. I mean, you know, I I really, really hate to get to this part yeah where i have to say final question yeah because i feel like we still haven't plumbed the depths of your story but maybe we'll have an opportunity you know sure. for, for part two um soon but my final question what does it take to get a facebook grant because you know i'm pretty sure people <laughs> with small small groups are wondering eh? yeah uh-huh. how does it work so there's um one is are you having a group that's building, that has social impact? Yeah. Because that's what they're promoting, communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when uh, Zuckerberg took over, not took over, when it went the meta way, yes. they they looked at how do we bring more people together. Mm-hmm. So apart from their usual advertising, they realized groups are powerful tools for driving social impact. So every year, Facebook puts out a call. Mm-hmm. And any group is eligible. And usually the, the, the thing is just to demonstrate what social impact you have. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got into it. Someone sent me, someone who had received it the previous year. She was running um, this, it's a, it's a pregnancy loss group. Okay. Yeah. And she, at that time, she had even gone all the way to Savannah uh, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So during COVID, of course, now there was not much travel. And that's how I put in the bid. There's a group for Facebook admins. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 
um, in sub-Saharan Africa. So also tips on how to run groups, tips on uh, how to make money, tips on how to host. Um, I'm done with just not tapped into so many features that the community has given. And so that's how the, the grants came about. So okay. every year. And right. it is Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa. Okay. Usually those three countries. Yeah. So I saw this this year they picked, they picked a community of mothers. Mm-hmm. I think she's based in Nakuru. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it has a second phase of funding also, and and they keep you in, they keep you in touch. Wow. Yeah, with many other opportunities, resources, whatnot. So it's yeah. it's it's just about you applying for it. Excellent. Gosh, now we know. And mm. now you all know as well. So you know what? Go over there, open that social, that that um, that, that Facebook group that you've always wanted to open that has um, social impact and get yourself a grant. Now, Amakovi, thank you so much for your You're time welcome. and for the invaluable lessons that you have given us today. Mm-hmm. Um, we will be reaching out to you soon um, again to, to continue with this conversation. Yeah, you'll come for the opening of uh, Yay! <laughs> Common Cottage 2. <laughs> Excellent. The mm. aeroplane. I can't wait to see how it comes up because the plans look really beautiful. Thank you. And for those of you who'd like to follow her, you can use the social media handles that you see on the screen. And you can also follow her page. Amakovi's Facebook page is is amazing. It's mm-hmm. entertainment every day, especially on Fridays. You might want to check it out. <laughs> see if you can find yourself a partner if you're single. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we'll see you next week for another one just like this one.